chapter 6 is where we're at. If you have a Bible, turn there with me. 2 Corinthians 6. Second Corinthians six. Where do we leave off? First one, nice, that's right. I had lots of people calling different numbers first service. They were still a little groggy, getting up early, you know what I'm saying? You guys slept in, got your rest. Lord, we're so grateful have this um, special morning where you have gathered us to be with you, to worship you, to now open your word and to hear your voice, to have you meet us right where we're at. You're so faithful to do that. God, you know exactly what each and every one of us needs to hear this morning. God, I pray you'd help us, Lord. Help us to divide your word correctly, to correctly apply it, that we would please you. Lord, in our decision-making, our, our actions, our reactions, the things that we get involved with, our relationships. As we're going to learn this morning, Lord, you've made us your very own. You've made us a family. And so thank you for that. Would you lead us this morning, guide us, transform and change us by the power of your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. And so uh, just by way of reminder, the Apostle Paul is in this this letter where it's super autobiographical. He is um, talking a lot about himself and the other people on his ministry team, and he's giving a defense Um, for his character, for his ministry. Um, Why? Because the church at Corinth at this point had been um, talking trash about Paul. They They had stopped listening to the Apostle Paul and anybody that should have respected him and honored him, uh, anybody that should have been listening to the Apostle Paul was this church of Corinth. Remember, he had traveled miles, suffered a lot to reach them. Uh, initially to share the gospel, to plant the church there with much pain and persecution. He spent uh, lots of time there pastoring them, discipling them. And then, of course, he left and a ton of problems arose within the church. And Paul, remember his first epistle, by and large, uh, corrective in some of the things they got right, some of the things they didn't make the adjustments on. And so we can, kind of, we can kind of glean that as we're studying through um, this epistle together. And we're going to see this in the chapter. Paul's going to say, you guys have closed your hearts to me. You've closed your hearts. It's like, how in the world do they close their hearts? And we're going to find out in just a moment why. Um, and remember where we ended last week, Paul was talking about um, the ministry of reconciliation that we've received. And isn't that beautiful? We've received a ministry... We've received this ministry of reconciliation, um, and, and you know what it's all about. It's, it's God reconciling men to himself through Jesus Christ. God sending his only begotten son, Jesus, to die on our behalf on the cross for our sins. He suffered, died, and was buried, and rose again on the third day. And he's made it so simple. We come to him just as we are. And we place our trust in Jesus Christ, and we experience his forgiveness. We experience a change in our lives. And it's supernatural and it's glorious and we're reconciled to God. We were once enemies, but now we become his children. And and not only that, God wants us to be reconciled with one another as well. And there's this rift between Paul and his team and the church and there needed to be reconciliation. And you remember Paul last week begged the church, be reconciled to God. Well, wait a minute, they're believers. But anytime we have an issue this way, horizontally, the issue is really what, what way? Vertically, right? We need to be reconciled to God. There's things wrong in our relationship with the Lord. And so Paul said, listen, 
We've been entrusted with this ministry of reconciliation. You've been reconciled, been reconciled to one another, and now you need to be reconciled to us as well. So that's kind of where we pick up um, this morning. Paul goes on to say, look at chapter 6, verse 1 with me. We then, as workers together with him, who's him? With Jesus. We're workers together with him. Also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Why? For he says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And so Paul, again, we see these, these personal pronouns, these pronouns, we, us, Paul's including his team with him. Uh, but he's saying here, listen, we work together with Jesus. We are laborers together with the Lord. I don't know about you, but that blows me away just thinking about that Jesus would share his ministry with us. I mean, that's awesome, isn't it? It's an awesome privilege. It's an awesome responsibility. Together, listen, that's every one of us here. We learned last week, together, every one of us, we are ambassadors for Jesus. Amen. We represent him. We represent heaven. No matter where we go, we are his ambassadors. And God gives us grace and he allows us to work with him. God wants us to work with him, gang. Did you know that? I remember when my daughters were little, they used to work with me in the yard. And they used to think they were doing some damage on those hedges. And they've got their like, what are they, like Hello Kitty scissors. They're walking behind dad. And I got the, the electric things. But... We were, they thought they were doing a lot, but it was, it was a joy for me to have them laboring. And listen, we're liabilities. It's like I pray all the time, Lord, don't let me jack stuff up. Lord, I need you desperately. And so I would say just by, by what he says there, too, we're workers together. Listen, God's best is not inactivity, but work. It's work. It's laboring. And listen, there are times we rest. Jesus got his disciples away certain times in the authorized rest. And the Lord does authorize rest for us. But we see here, God is calling us to labor with him. To work with him. And again, it's glorious because when we do, when we take that step of faith out, what happens? We experience his sufficient grace. We experience his strength, his wisdom. Listen, God will give you everything you need to be successful in what he's called you to do. As you look to him, you look to his resources. And so he said, look at what else he says in verse one. We also plead with you. I mean, can you imagine the apostle Paul coming in here this morning begging us? I'm begging you. I am urging you. What? What is he urging them? Not to receive the grace of God in vain. What does in vain mean? No Worthless. For nothing. And so he says, don't let the grace of God that you've received be for nothing or without results. Aren't you guys grateful for God's grace? Amen. It is amazing. It truly is amazing, isn't it? God's kindness, his favor. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. It's not by religious efforts. It's not by our works that we receive it. It is God's desire to give you good things that you don't deserve. God's grace. I like the acrostic. An acrostic's like that when you use the letters of the word, right? G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. Isn't that what we've received? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly because of what Jesus has done for us. Doesn't it feel good to receive grace? Amen. Feel good, you guys? You know what else is good? It's good to give grace, too. Amen. And, and, and listen, by the way, just a little side note. I have learned in life and in ministry, it's always best to err on the side of grace. Because mm. don't we need grace from the Lord? The Bible tells us in John 1 that Jesus gives us layer upon layer of grace in our lives. What we don't deserve, his kindness, his favor. And so it's nice to receive it, but it's also nice to pass it on as well. And that's what he's saying here. Don't just receive God's grace and hold on to it. 
and there'd be nothing from, nothing, no fruit, no outflowing from your life. And so don't be in a place where you've received what God has given you in vain or without result. Listen, God has invested in you. He's paid the highest price possible for you and for me by sending his son to die for us. He purchased us with his own blood. He has a lot invested in you and in me. And he takes care of his investments, doesn't he? He takes care of us. And so God's grace, it's amazing grace. In fact, Paul said, if you're taking notes, he can flip back one one letter or one book. 1 Corinthians 15. Listen to what Paul says here. 1 Corinthians 15. Back one book, verse 10. Hey, if I said to you what your dream car or motorcycle or whatever mode of transportation you like, what's your dream car? And I said, sweet, text it to me. It's going to be in your garage when you come home. This is, this is like a hypothetical. This is like not a, this is an illustration. <laughs> Can you imagine if it showed up there? Give you the keys. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. There you go. And all you did was left that car in the garage day after day, month after month, year after year, week after week. What would I say to you? Why are you, like, dude, what's, what's your problem? <laughs> or Chica, what's up? What are you doing? <laughs> you, I, I, by grace, I've given you this. Now get it out there. Get it rolling. Max it out. That's what, that's what Paul says here. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. So Paul, what did you do with the grace you received? But I labored more abundantly than they all. I received this grace and I worked harder than everybody else. Yet, he says, but he says, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Paul's like, I did the best I could with what the Lord gave me. I I put it to work, man. God made this investment in my life with his grace, and I took that, and I maxed out his grace. And then in verse 2, back to 2 Corinthians 6, flip back over there, Paul quotes from Isaiah chapter 49, and it is a messianic passage. And when we say messianic, it speaks of Jesus. And if you go back and read that chapter, and I would encourage you to, Isaiah 49, it speaks all about Jesus and how he sets us free. Is anybody grateful for that? If the Son sets you free, you are free free indeed. And so Paul is speaking here. He reminds the church, listen, you get to be a part of what Jesus is doing. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. Don't wait. Don't take another day. He says, in an acceptable time, I've heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. And we hear this passage used um, when someone's sharing the gospel, don't we? It's like, a, uh, it's like an altar call, mm-hmm. right? Today is the day of salvation, and now is the appointed time, and now you've got to get saved. And what's beautiful about this passage is we learn something about God that he hears. Amen. He hears our cries. Mm-hmm. Isn't that what you did when you surrendered your life to Jesus? Yeah. Lord, help. I need you. Forgive me. And what's so beautiful, that word, it says, I've helped you, it means to come running. Mm. Isn't that cool? You cry and the Lord does what? He comes running to help you, to rescue you, to save you. Guys, that's the God that we serve. That's a picture of the the prodigal. Finally came to his senses, right? And he comes home and what did the dad do? Dude, you need to wash off, get in the bath, hose hose him off out back. Is that what they did? Is that what? The father did. The father went running. And that's unheard of in that culture. He hikes up his drawers, tucks him in, and goes hauling to see his son, grabs him, hugs him. He's still stinking like the pig pen, right? And what does he do? Puts the robe on him, the ring on him. My son was lost, but now he is found. Glorious. But again, we look at the context here. There's a sense of urgency. Paul says, now, now. This is the context. It's for believers. 
It's for us. It's for the church of Corinth. Now is the time to communicate grace. Now is the time to max out the grace that you've been given, what the Lord has blessed you with. It's time to invest in the internal. It's time to invest in the Lord's work, to be busy about our Father's business today. Not putting it off, not saying, oh, you know what, I should have done that, or I'm going to do that. But hey, when the finances get good, or, or when I get the approval of my parents or someone else. No, 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 no. Today, now, now, right where you're at, you can serve the Lord. In your business, in your neighborhood, in your school, wherever it is. Listen, bloom where you're planted. Blossom where you're planted. Dig your roots down into Jesus. Abide deeply and, 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 and closely with him. Get as close to him as possible. And watch what he'll do in your life. He wants to use our lives before time expires. He gives opportunities. Can I encourage you to look for those opportunities? To be on the lookout. Don't live in fantasy land, but be faithful. What do I mean by that? There's people that come to me and say, you know what, Pastor? I know God has an awesome ministry for me. He's calling me somewhere. He's calling me to do something. And I'm like, okay, cool, dude. What are you doing right now? I'm sitting and listening to you. Every Sunday. Hallelujah. What are you doing for the Lord? Uh, I'm waiting on the Lord. I'm waiting for Him. Listen, in Hebrew, that word waiting, we wait for the Lord or wait upon the Lord. It means to, it means to twist ourselves. It, means, it literally means twisting. It speaks of connecting ourselves to the Lord in a special way, but then being used in a special way. So while you're waiting and you've got these visions of grandeur, hallelujah, I'm behind you, man. I want to see all that God has for you. I love you. I care about you. But right now, you need to get busy. Now is the day. Now is the time. Don't put it off. Be busy and then let the Lord move you when it's time and His timing that you are prepared. Don't become a pew potato. You guys ever have potatoes that go funky in your... What, what happens with those things? They just grow... They have a life of their own, don't they? They got like... It looks like something... An alien, right? Sprouting like legs and... That's what happens if you just sit around and you become a pew potato. You grow funky stuff. Get busy. Be faithful. He sets you free by his grace. Now you get to be a part of what Jesus is doing. Your life, and guess what? Your life now has eternal significance. Your life now has eternal meaning. Your life now has eternal purpose. Verse 3. Paul says, we give no offense in anything. Why? That our ministry may not be blamed. But in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God. And so now, listen, Paul's going to talk about ministry. And he gives important insights on what ministry is like, serving the Lord. And he's challenging, listen, he's challenging the Corinthians to have a certain mindset in all of this. And he teaches us practically how this works. We've all received this ministry of reconciliation, but now how does it work out practically in our lives? And the first thing he says is what? We give no offense. That means we don't want to trip up anybody we don't want to stumble anybody. We don't want to lead anyone into error or into sin. You remember what Jesus said about causing a little one to stumble? You guys remember that? Matthew, what chapter? Matthew 18. Jesus gets all gangster, doesn't he? You guys remember what he says? You cause a little one to stumble, it would, it would be better for you to have a millstone wrapped around your neck and you'd be thrown into the sea than cause any one of these little ones to stumble. And so Paul's like, we don't want to cause anyone to stumble with our lives, the things that we do. We don't want fault to be found in our ministry. And listen, Paul was getting blamed for lots of stuff. Again, that's why he's giving a defense in this letter. And so Paul says here, I don't want anything that I do to personally have a detrimental effect or a bad effect on what God is doing through me. In other words, he's saying, I don't want to risk doing something that will jeopardize the name of the Lord or, or dishonor the name of the Lord, the ministry, the message. 
Listen, the way that we live our lives has an impact on our ministries, on the ministry, if you will. There was a, uh, someone in our church that led uh, worship here at church years and years ago. And uh, they went to a car dealer and yelled at the salesperson and the people there. And the following Wednesday night, guess who came to church? Guess who was leading worship and guess who came to church? Guess who left church? Why? Well, it was a bad example. Are you with me on that? Here's, Here's the thing. We are not perfect. But when we do blow it, listen, we need to ask for forgiveness. We need to come to them and say, you know what? Yeah, I am a Christian. I blew it. Forgive me. I was wrong. You know what's cool sometimes, too, is to have an unbeliever pray for you. Or ask them to. Hey, would you pray for me? Uh, yeah, uh, okay. I'll, I'll be thinking good thoughts about you. <laughs> but it gets them thinking. It's, again, it's an opportunity to it, it, it'll, it'll repair. It's the ministry of reconciliation. We receive grace. We give grace. We don't want to provide ammo for people to shoot us. Are you with me? Are you guys with me this morning on that? This is like super crucial. And so Paul says, but in all things, in everything, we commend ourselves. So we don't want the ministry mocked or discredited, but in all things we commend. We are approving ourselves or, or we're, we're wanting to have the stamp, God's stamp of approval on our ministry. Does that make sense? So how, what does it look like to have God's stamp of approval on our ministries? Paul's going to give his resume here in just a moment. Right? You bring a resume somewhere, you're looking for a job to see if you're what? If you are qualified. And so what are some qualifications? What are some things that give us the stamp of approval? What is ministry like? If you're going to represent God, what do you need? Look at number one. Look what it says. What does your Bible say? Much patience. Much patience. How are we doing in that department? It's, it's, it's interesting. This is that Greek word. Remember this Greek word? Hoopamone. Sounds like I need a couple scoops of hoopamone this afternoon. It means, to, it means to bear up under the load. It means to patiently endure. That's the idea, to remain under. And listen, in ministry, you have to patiently, in life you have to, don't you? Patiently endure. The ground, make, building the groundwork for, for who you're sharing with, a certain person, a certain area, if you're a missionary. There's groundwork that needs to be laid. There's watering and waiting for God to provide the increase to work on the other end, or in your life also. Being patient with ourselves as God is working on certain things. Patient with our spouse, our kids, our kids with the parents. As God, is God at work in our lives as Christians? He is. So there's that need to patiently endure in the general struggles of life. What do we need patience for? Look what it says. Look at the next part of the verse. So he says, in much patience, in tribulations, in needs... In distresses. So we need patience for these three things, don't we? In tribulation, small t, it means to compress or it speaks of stress. Anybody here ever experienced stress? Maybe a couple of us this morning. Those hands need to pray for us. But it does something in our lives. God uses that to develop us. He said, in this world you will have tribulation. But what? But be of good cheer. For I have overcome this world. And the greatest Christian that ever lived is living in your heart. He's living in my heart. To help us in those times as we look to him, to his strength, to to his sufficiency. And so not only, we also need patience for what? In needs. Literally means arms lifted up. And you don't always have what you need. Listen, this is me every day. Lord, help. I need you. Isn't there a song like that? Every hour I need thee. And what happens? When we look to Him, He supplies what we need. And it's not always the way we expect. Sometimes like, what? But then you look back and say, wow, Lord, thank you for how you did that. We were in need. I was in need. And you came through. And who gets all the credit? 
The Lord does. He gets the glory. We make him look good. And by the way, if you believe, Romans 8, 28, that God is working all things together for good, then you never need to manipulate. When you have needs, you don't need to manipulate people. You don't need to, you don't need to manipulate. I'm getting excited. You don't need to manipulate your parents, co-workers. You trust the Lord. Because he's working all things together for good of those who uh, love him. We need patience in distresses. It means to be cornered with no place to go. I'm just, I can't get out of this jam. I am stuck. But you know what? You're stuck there with Jesus. He's right there with you. And it's God's grace that enables us to push through, to move forward. He empowers us. Not to be overcome, but to what? But to press on. And then look at the next part of the verse. Um, He says, actually in verse 5, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings. And so now we see suffering or opposition that comes from others. So the first couple uh, things that we listed there are just... Everyday stuff, right? Tribulations, needs, distresses. That's like day-to-day stuff in planet Earth, isn't it? Now this is suffering that comes from the hands of others. Look what it says. Number one, he says, in stripes. What are stripes? What are stripes? Is that like a really cool outfit? With, what he's talking about? What are stripes? Horizontal? Or, <laughs> it's beatings. It's whoopings. Did Paul ever get a whooping? He did a lot, didn't he? It was like everywhere he went, that's what was waiting for him. But he pressed on. He endured. He chose to endure for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he says in imprisonments, that's jail time. And then in tumults. What are tumults? Riots. You guys ever go to Walmart on Saturday? That's just... Get the picture or a Costco your free sample Saturday you go there it's, fr- it's a frenzy isn't it it's loud there's voices all over hearing all kinds of voices and listen there's only one voice you and I need to hear and that's the voice of our good shepherd Jesus said my sheep hear my voice and they follow me in the tumults in the riots in the madness of the day to day when people are coming down on us and people are trying to harass us and hassle us, it's the Lord we need to keep our eyes upon and follow him. Paul goes on to say, look what he chose to endure for the gospel. In labors, means working to the point of fatigue. In sleeplessness, no rest. In fastings, a lack of food or are desperate uh, to seek God's work as we're abstaining from food or whatever. And it's God's grace that helps us to remain faithful in all of our adversity. And then he goes on, Paul, this is how Paul chose to live. Number one, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by the Holy Spirit, or by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. And so let me draw your attention back to uh, verse 6 just for a moment there. Paul says, we've chosen to live a life of purity. A life free from impurity or, or from contamination. We've chosen to live a life, listen, a life of integrity. And listen, that begins in the heart, you guys. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We want to see God work. Don't, you guys want to see God work in your lives? Amen. Marriage. Yes. No, no, so there's some, no amens there. <laughs> we want to see God work in our homes with our kids. That's where it begins. Blessed are the pure in heart. For you shall, Jesus promised that. For they shall see God. I want to see God work in my life. I want a fresh work of God's spirit. I want to see God work in my kids and in my my bride. And in our church. In this community. It begins with the heart. And listen, in adversity, let that trial purify you. In that, in that heaviness, you're getting cornered, you're getting pressed and compressed. Let that purify you. There's things that need to be removed. Let those things go. Man, it's so vital. Get rid of the stuff we don't need when we're in those trials and we're being purified by the Lord. And he's showing you, you can live without that. You don't need that. 
by knowledge. We choose to have a love for the knowledge of, the, of God through his word, hungering and thirsting to grow in God's word. Always, there's always things to learn, isn't there? Is there always things to learn? Have you guys, anybody here arrived spiritually? Did I see a hand go up over there? You better repent, buckaroo. We haven't arrived. We're all in need of growing. And we need to be nourished by the word of God in order that we might grow as we abide in the Lord. He's made it so simple. We just come to him and we fill up. We get nourished by him. Out of our hearts will flow rivers of living water. By long suffering, I love this word in the Greek. It means overheating, breathing hard, but a long fuse. Did you guys catch that? Yep. See, so you're getting hot under the collar. It's, I'm just. But you have a long fuse. You're not a reactionary. You suffer long with difficult people, difficult circumstances, and difficult people. Do you realize that sometimes you're a difficult person? <laughs> I mean, how, how long suffering is God with you and me? How much does he have to put up with? And he's saying this is part of everyday life as a minister of reconciliation, as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Don't let that thing cause you to blow your stack, blow your witness. By kindness. How, how should we respond? By just being nice. You know, that's a huge witness. Do you know that's a huge testimony? Just by being nice to people? Because there's not a whole lot of niceness going on. There's not a whole lot of ni niceties. Is that a word? There's not a whole lot of that going around right now. You stand out when you are nice. When you get cut off in traffic. You lift up this finger. One. One way. There's one way to heaven. By the Holy Spirit, listen, he'll help you. That's what it says next. The strength, the wisdom, the guiding, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So glorious. By sincere love. What is sincere love? It's pure. It's real. It's, it's unhypocritical. It's genuine. Do you guys like genuine stuff or fake stuff? Phony. Genuine. That's what God wants. That's what we, that's what really what we need, isn't it? Yes is real love. Not, hey, I love you, man, mean it. You ever see that bumper sticker? I saw it on a t-shirt. Love you, man, mean it. The Bible tells us we're not to love in word or in tongue, but in what? In deed and in truth. The example is our Lord Jesus Christ. By this we know love that he gave his life for us. That's the demonstration of love that the Lord is looking for. Genuine love. Sincere love. By the, I love this. By God's word. Look at verse 7. God's word. God's strength. And then what else? Look what it says there. God's provision for the spiritual battle every day. The armor of righteousness. God's grace turns the weakest of us into warriors. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then in verse 8 through 10, we have nine paradoxes. The way, there's the way the world sees us, and then there's the way that God sees us. Look what it says. By honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich as having nothing and yet possessing all things. God's grace enabled Paul, check this out, to see clearly and to respond accordingly. Sometimes we're valued by others. Sometimes we're honored and sometimes we're not. Sometimes we're dishonored as we're serving the Lord. But we need to be consistent whether either thing is happening by evil report. Sometimes we're slandered. Sometimes it's a good report. Sometimes people are, are, are stoked and excited and rejoicing uh, with you in your ministry and your life. But with both of those, we need to give, whether someone is criticizing you or someone's praising you, we give both of them straight to the Lord. Are you with me? Because who are we doing it for? Amen. We're doing it for Jesus. 
It's for him. I'll give you this, Lord. You help me filter through the criticism if there's any truth in it at all. If there's just a smidgen of truth, if I'm jacked up on something, Lord, show me. Search my heart. The praise goes to him. Paul goes on to say, look at the end of verse 8, as deceivers. They falsely, they falsely accused Paul of being bogus, just like they did Jesus in Matthew 27, of being a deceiver, and yet true, yet the real deal, genuine deal. As unknown, in other words, not a celebrity, irrelevant, yet well-known. Who are we well-known by? We're well-known by God. That's all that matters. So we're known by Him. Not recognized by many, but known by the Lord As dying, nearing our final breath, but check it out. Behold, we survive. God keeps us going. As chastened, beaten with blows, yet my time, Paul says, my time is not expired. Full of grief and sadness, wrenched, looking around at people, yet always choosing to rejoice, celebrating what God has done. Listen, there's always, there is always plenty to rejoice about. We need to choose to rejoice as poor, destitute, yet helping lots of people become spiritually prosperous. How does that happen? Sharing the word of God, making disciples, being a conduit of God's grace, as having nothing, nothing in this present world, yet possessing all things. I have, Paul says, I have everything in the life to come. I'm storing up my treasures in heaven, and that's where my heart is. Listen, gang, there's two ways to see life this morning. Either... The world's view or God's view. It's really simple. And, and, And I'm bringing this up because there is an effort in the church all around us. There's an effort in the church in America, in Texas, in Houston, in Cyprus to be liked by the world and simultaneously to be liked by God. Or to be honored by men and honored by God at the same time. Listen, we can't have both at the same time. Jesus said, if we're really living the way that God has called us to, we will be hated by this world. I mean, didn't Jesus say something about us being salt and light? light? What what was he saying there? Didn't remember that? Mm -hmm. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. What does salt do? Brings flavor. Doesn't it bring flavor to food? Yes. Right? We like that. Preserves, too. It uses preservative. Yep. It can be used for healing, too, can it? Yep. You gargle with, you got a sore throat with salt water. You got a cut. You go down at Mount Galveston. You go to the <laughs> Pacific Ocean. <laughs> Except right now, the water's super clean over there. It stings, though, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. As salt, there's sometimes we're going to sting people. Light, what does light do? What does light do? Light gives, helps you see in the dark, mm-hmm. guides your steps. But it also exposes too, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. As you are the light of the world, light, darkness doesn't like light. Nope. Darkness hates light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. You're exposing stuff the way you live. Just by the way you live. It speaks volumes to people. When you love and you forgive and you give grace and you share the truth and love with people, man, you begin to shine. Listen, God's grace frees us from the trap of trying to please men and please God at the same time. We're accepted in the beloved gang. And he's called us to be different. In fact, let's, let's finish up the chapter. Look what it says. It rolls out pretty quick here. Plus, I got another hour and a half left on the timer. <laughs> the timer must be off today. Oh, Corinthians. Look at the exclamation point. Paul sings with passion. Or pathos, right? Whatever. We have spoken openly to you. We haven't concealed anything. It's a straight from the heart. Our heart is wide open. We haven't shut the doors of our hearts to you. You are not restricted by us. We're not in the way. We're not closed off to you. But you are restricted. This is important. You're hindered. Why? 
by your own affections. Now, in return for the same, we've been open and honest with you. I'm, I speak as to children. I love you like a father. You also be open. So what's Paul saying here? What Paul is saying is, listen, the real problem that you have is that you're hindered, you're restricted by your own, what does it say at the end of verse 12? Your own affections or passions or lusts. You know what he's saying? What you make a priority is messing you up. What you make a priority is messing you up. What's held you back in your relationship with God is your love for the world. Paul's saying, you guys have a divided heart. You can't serve two gods. Paul's saying this as a father. He's saying, would you be open and honest with yourselves? With me? Would you be open and honest with God? That there's an issue in your heart? How do we know that? You just making stuff up, Pastor? Look at the next verse. We're told right there, the issue. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial or with Satan? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. And so Paul addresses this issue in their hearts. And he's commanding them. He's instructing them. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What in the world is a yoke? What is he talking about? Is that the cool part of the egg? And you, you break it open? Is that what he's talking about here? What's a yoke? It's that, you know, it's that wooden harness, right? That carpenters make. And what they do is they have two oxen together that are to be pulling in tandem going the same way, same direction, and they're connected by that wooden yoke. Jesus said, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and you know, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So that yoke is fitted just for those two oxen. So they'll plow straight, they'll keep rolling. What happens if you have an oxen with a donkey? It's it says that in the law. It's unequal yoking. And what begins to happen? There's pain. You got the, the oxen like cruising, and what's the donkey doing? He's put, hitting the brakes, isn't he? Not going nowhere. Or he's going the other direction. Correct? Is that what we're talking about here? Yes. There's dislocation, there's pain. Paul says, as believers, you're not to be linked up with closely, tightly, with those who reject Jesus. Those who are involved with the unbelieving principles of this world. Why is he saying this? Because the Corinthians had yoked themselves with not only unbelievers, but unbelieving principles and philosophies of the world. They linked themselves with things that have no place in the life of a child of God. Listen, unbelievers have a different purpose in their life than you do, Christian, and that I do. And Paul's saying here, don't build intimate relationships with those who are not believers. Why? Because just like the ox, they're going to pull you off course. It's going to bring pain into your life. You're not going the same direction. It's going to cause chafing and dislocation. And, and, and listen, we normally, we typically hear these verses concerning what? Marriage, thank you. Do not be unequally yoked. And I can't tell you how many times people have come to me I laugh. Here's an example. Young lady comes to me and says, Pastor, I want you to do our premarital counseling. I met this dude. Oh, he's so cute. He's so, he, he rocks. I don't know if that was the word, but something like that. They still use that word? No. Is that lame? You know what I'm saying, right? 
And, and I'll say, oh, really? Does he know Jesus? Uh, well, he, he wears a cross. And, and he's got a tat that says, only God can judge me. <laughs> and my pastor, the muscles. Oh. You got to see you got to see the hammers, Pastor. I don't care about the gunboats, the hammers, the pythons. I, want, I care about his heart. Because you know, precious sister, you know what the Word of God says. To not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. I know that, but it's missionary dating. I'm going to see him get saved. And listen, if you're still dug in, with that, there's plenty of people here that have um, not applied that, that are either walking in that or are divorced now, that can counsel you. You don't believe what I'm saying. I love you. If you are in that right now, it's lopsided. God gives you instruction to hang in there. He'll give you, again, he'll give you what you need to be successful you made a mistake. Listen, there's, there's grace for our mistakes, isn't there? Amen. The Lord will help us. But this goes, this goes beyond marriage. This goes to business. Because I'll minister to people that are in business, and they'll say, Pastor, this, my boss, my co-partner, he's asking me to cheat on this. He's asking me to do this with the numbers. He's asking me to do that. And I'll say, what do you think you need to do? <laughs> I mean, you're unequally yoked, bro. What does the book say? I'm just an idiot baseball player that got saved. I, this is what the book says. <laughs> Don't be equally yoked, unequally yoked. The closest, listen, this morning, the closest relationships that we should have should be with believers. Mm-hmm. The people in this room. By the way, we're not to avoid all associations with unbelievers. Don't, don't take this the wrong way and go get a little compound out in Waco or somewhere. Because <laughs> who's going to be salt and light? No. Who's our example in all things? Jesus. Jesus. And his example to us is contact without contamination. Yeah. We are to be in the world, but not oh. of it. Like a boat on the ocean. The boat floats on the sea, but if the boat begins to take on water, what happens? What happens? You guys know. I guess some Navy some people from the Navy here. You can tell us. Sinks going down, man. And so we are warned here uh, to guard our hearts from relationships that will pull us away from God, influences that will pull us away from Jesus, His Word. And the question I have this morning for myself and for us is: Am I being conformed to this world or being transformed by the renewing of my mind? Are you allowing this world to shape you and influence you, your morals, your values, your attitudes, the things you're engaged in? Or or listen, or is God's word the most important influence in your life and you're allowing his word to fashion and change you? Because we're called to no longer be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And Paul goes through this list. What fellowship, what close relationship does, has righteousness with lawlessness? None. They'll always be in conflict. What partnership has light with dark? Those things have nothing in common. What accord? We get the word symphony from this word in the Greek. What symphony, what agreement does Jesus have with the devil? None. They're not going to make beautiful music together. What part, portion has a believer With an unbeliever, believers are not to be participating in what unbelievers are participating in, the the things of darkness. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? We're not to allow idols into our lives. Anything we would put before God in worship and adoration to worship and serve. Why? Listen, look what he says at the end of verse 16, or the middle. For you are the temple of the living God. Is that an amazing thing to consider this morning? You. Put your name in there. You're the temple of the living God. God has come and taken up residence in your heart and in your life. Everywhere you go, there goes the Holy of Holies. 
And not only individually, but corporately also. As we gather together, the Lord is right here with us. He says it. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I shall be their God and they shall be my people. I love gathering together with you guys because every time we do, the Lord is here. We experience his presence, his power, his love, his grace, his touch upon our lives. It's glorious. And God is to be number one. He's the only one to be worshipped in his house. No idols. He wants holiness. Christ-likeness. It's a direction of our lives. Individually and corporately. So what's the application, Pastor? I'm done. I'm good. Look what it says as we finish. It's right here. Is that a little amen from the back? <laughs> You're done. You're done, Pastor. Hallelujah. Therefore, in light of that, what? Come out from among them. And, and, and literally in the Greek, these words are right now. There are certain, listen, this morning, there are certain relationships, perhaps this morning, you need to disconnect from. Bad company corrupts good character or morals, depending upon your translation. Not only, he says, come out from them, but what? Be separate. And and that word separate means, check this out, distance yourself and make boundaries, says the Lord. He's saying it right now. It doesn't say said, says the Lord, do not touch what is unclean. Touch, and that word touch means touching that influences or contact that impacts. He's like, stop your involvement right now. And I will receive you. Isn't that beautiful? God welcomes you. I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters. Who's saying this? The Lord Almighty. The Lord is saying that to us today. That he would be number one. You know, when God says that in the Ten Commandments, God is to be number one. He shall have no other gods before me. In Hebrew, that means no other gods in my sight. No other gods in my sight, number one. It's not Jesus plus my money, plus my possessions. You know, Jesus is number one, but I got number two, three, four gods that I'm trying to juggle. See, hear the weeping? That's a bad thing. So, perfect timing, isn't it? The Lord's timing perfect. May we have undivided hearts for our Father. The Apostle John, after decades of walking with Jesus, was still blown away by being a child of God. He said, behold, what manner of that we might be called the children of God. And that is what we are. He's still blown away. He's made you his child. He's brought us into a family. And may he be the one that shines and gets all the glory. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much this morning. Such an awesome, awesome passage. Lord, they all are so needed and necessary. I pray, Lord, that your your word would just wash over us now. Your word would search us.